Hi, this is Taylor, Editor-in-Chief at Journey to the Fringe. Now, this week, we are covering the topic of the noble Bigfoot. Chelsea got a little over-exuberant in her research on this topic and a little bit excited while talking, so we went a little bit over on time, which, for your listening pleasure, I have made the executive decision to split into a two-part episode. Part one gives a general overview of Bigfoot, along with stories of sightings from when Europeans came over, as well as more recent activity. Part two will be covering the indigenous to North America's mythology and interactions with Bigfoot over the years. Thank you for listening and enjoy the hour of listening you have ahead of you. From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? Welcome to episode seven. Thank you for sticking around this long. It's been a long Um, journey that no one has taken part in yet. Not yet. (laughs) Soon to come, hopefully. So last episode, we went over kind of a basic overview of cryptids. The episodes coming are going to be on different cryptids that we're covering. So this one's going to be wild men slash Bigfoot. I had a question for you, Taylor. Did you know that cryptid tourism is a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did. I would assume. That's what the Loch Ness Monster <laughs> makes money off of. The entire, <laughs> like, lake there. There's no other reason to go there. It's not like it's a particularly warm place yeah. to go on a lake vacation. It is. And Ogopogo, there's a lot of it even around here. It involves traveling somewhere in hopes of spotting a cryptid and draws over $140 million in the U.S., alone each year yeah that's my... uh, the big one would be mothman tourism that i take it in the uh, north i would love to go there to be completely honest with you what's and the name of that town i forget that is point pleasant yes i myself have amassed an impressive bigfoot paraphernalia collection in my ventures and you have taken part in bigfoot tourism and i was there with you <laughs> which was the bigfoot museum and in such Harrison that Hot we Springs. Saw in Harrison Hot Springs. Yeah. Bigfoot in particular is huge in the Pacific Northwest where I live. And I would imagine does draw a fair amount of tourism from our going over to Harrison Hot Springs alone. You know what's um, a damn a shame with all that though? What? I bet you Bigfoot has not seen a dime of all this money. Probably made not. Him. And probably. probably none of it's gone to Bigfoot conservation either. No, most definitely not. I cover a little bit about that in my episode. Okay. Um, <laughs> Seattle, the sky's everywhere. Basically all around, along the West Coast, everywhere I've gone, you see the big guy everywhere. This coming weekend, actually, I'm going to Sasquatch Inn, which is at the base of Sasquatch Mountain in the lower mainland. It's outside uh, well, it's by Harrison Hot Springs. Oh. Town that it's called is Harrison Mills. I'm sure there's some pictures that I'll be able to upload to social media once we get that. On the hotel's website we're staying at, they actually have a huge write-up about a brunch they hosted with local Bigfoot researcher John Green and Bob Giblin. Bob Gimlin of the infamous Patterson Gimlin video that I'll talk about in a bit. That's my little starting piece on this one. Wildman known most popularly around here, the Pacific Northwest 
West as Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Harry Henderson. While known here under those names, the big guy can be seen across almost every other culture, both current and going pretty far back into history. So we have the Yeren, uh, the Chinese wild man. Here we go again, showing up big trouble little China. My apology if I pronounce any of these wrong. So Yeti, Mete, Almas and the Abominable Snowman. These come from East Asia, Mongolia, Nepal, Pakistan, Tibet, and Siberia. The Yowie in Australia from the Outback. The Swamp slash Skunk Ape from Southeastern United States. The Mapin Gwari in South America. The Orang Minyak in Malaysia, which translates... Oh, the Oily Monkey. So the Oily Man Monster. And the Mapin Gwari, which is the South American one that I just gave you. Yeah. <laughs> so that when you get twice, there's a lot more. As you can see, these are basically the same people just spotted all over the world. All these different cultures have them. Yeah, there's also the um, the rock ape, not actually called the rock ape, but Vietnam's version of wild yeah. men that were they spotted during the Vietnam War. And yeah. uh, I forget the actual term for it in Vietnamese, but it translates to uh, stinky man, more or less. Yeah, they all smell. <laughs> Yeah, they all smell um, so, uh, so I'm sure there's ones that I left off this list. So you do get varying descriptions across the cultures. However, they pretty much all have the same features. So this big, beautiful bastard ranges from six feet all the way up to, it's been reported, 15 feet. He's, is that just the Pacific Northwest one, or is that just kind of a general overview? That is very much as general as I could get it. Pacific Northwest doesn't get quite as tall. However, I do have one of the tallest in this region, one of the reports in here, one of the sightings, which is about 15 feet. I think it's 14 or 15 feet. Because in that, if you're talking about all wild men, that would include the Filipino Homo florenses. He gets up to 15 yeah. feet? No, he's he's actually significantly smaller. Yeah. So they, they average about three and a half feet. Oh, wow. No, I haven't yeah. even heard of that guy. Three feet. And the rock ape as well. Rock ape that, ranged from five to seven feet. What do they call those Ewoks? They live. Yeah, close to an Ewok. It's called the Hobbit for a reason. It's not tall. So they range in weight from 200 to a muscular 400 and up pounds. He's a bipedal ape-like creature with human-like facial features, large nose, lips, sometimes seen with glowing yellow or red eyes in the dark, which is not something and, you generally see with humans or any type of ape species he's also yes. ground dwelling correct yes okay. technically yes he's covered in hair and descri it's described as black dark brown reddish generally across the board there is the iberian one that is depicted with white hair however actual eyewitness accounts the yeti sorry can sometimes be depicted with white hair. However, actual eyewitness accounts don't put him with white hair. It's always the red, dark brown pair. He's usually, well, is mostly foul smelling, commonly described as having a rotten egg smell, which is sulfur or skunk-like. And some footprint casts have contained claw marks, which can also be the concern with that, that it has claw marks as it's being confused with a bear. However, bears don't generally have footprints that are so human-like and so large. 
Yeah, they generally have paw prints. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Almost exactly. Bigfoot is heavily rooted in mythology going back thousands of years, and I will touch on that coming up later on the episode. Bigfoot's behaviors include wood knocking and vocalizations such as howls, moans, grunts, whistles. It's even been reported as supposed language. Rock stacking and rock clacking have also been reported among Bigfoots. There are two instances in which Bigfoot is known to throw rocks. One has been reported at researchers and hikers. And at that point, it's usually small pebbles, which would appear to be more than curiosity than anything, as it does not appear as if they're out to harm anybody. Then there's reports of larger rocks being thrown, some reports alleging as big as basketballs. And it's in these that they appear to be more aggressive in nature and warning to get out of the area. That being said, they there are stories of them being territorial in nature and known to throw rocks in that sense, break and throw tree limbs and howl or scream if provoked. So to start, my big hairy ape research took me around the world, and while I wish I could fit everything into this episode and cover everything I just talked about with the Vietnamese Bigfoot, Siberia Bigfoot, the all-around-the-world Bigfoot, to my surprise, kind of, ended up staying mostly within my backyard which is also kind of a cool thing. I found out some really cool sightings in history. So I'm just going to start with some notable sightings. The first modern day sighting, not sighting, but modern day footprints is generally credited to, do you want to take a guess when and who? I believe it's the 1920s. And I know it's in Banff or Jasper. I just can't remember who. This is a British explorer, 1811. His name, oh. this is generally speaking, there's always going to be someone that says it could be somewhere else, somewhat, someone else at some other time. Oh, the first time he saw footprints. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is David Thompson, and he worked for the Hudson's Bay Company as a surveyor and trader. In 1810, in the fall, Thompson journeyed north after getting stopped at House Pass, which was his route across the mountains to the West Coast. That's going to be in the West Coast of Canada slash Washington, Montana area. Eventually, he was forced to travel up the Athabasca River to present-day Jasper, Alberta, where he went, took a rest there, traveled further north, where he met out. he met up with the mouth of Whirlpool River. And it's here we have a sighting recorded of the tracks January 8th, 1881. And this is from his journal. January 7th, 1811. Continuing our journey in the afternoon, we came on the track of a large animal. The snow about six inches deep on the ice. I measured it. Four large toes, each of the four inches in length to each a short claw. The ball of the foot sunk three inches lower than the toes. The hinder part of the foot did not mark well. The length 14 inches by 8 inches in breadth, walking from north to south and having passed about six hours. We were in no humor to follow him. The men and Indians would have it to be young mammoth, and I held it to be the large track of a large old grizzly bear. Yet the shortness of the nails, the ball of the foot, and its great size was not that of a bear. Otherwise, that of a very large old bear, his claws worn away. This the Indians would not allow. That's the first track sighting, which I was interested that it was up by Jasper, which, you know, isn't very far from here either. So he said he thought it was a 
bear just kind of significantly different from a bear track yes because he keeps comparing um, it to bear track. He did, yes. And then it does come up. He does, after he leaves the area, he keeps reflecting on it in his journal. It obviously stayed with him. I didn't pull up his, yeah, I didn't continue with it just because I have a limited amount of time. But yes, he does compare it with a bear. Um, obviously, he knows what a bear looks like because he's comparing it to that of a bear however he well, and he's a surveyor and trapper he's used to seeing yeah. bears well sorry exactly. not used to seeing and bears <laughs> but used to being in the woods where bears are well this is a time when there was really no separation i guess he was in canada in 1811 and that was you know the early days when we rubbed elbows with the bears that's the end of that sighting. i move on to ape canyon which i think this is a really cool one as well this is Washington. This is a narrowing gorge which sits on the east of Mount St. Helens in Washington. I've also added this to my list of crypto tourism for myself to travel and visit once the borders open up again. This is named after a famous Bigfoot attack said to have happened in 1924. And the attack came in the night on a small cabin of five miners, July 1924, by what was identified by the miners of a group of wild ape men. The men were asleep when the mountain devils attacked out of nowhere and all hell broke loose, which is my interpretation of that, all hell breaking loose. Huge stones were being hurled at the cabin, which the men had built by hand, and the stones were coming from all sides. The men began to shoot because humans, and that's what we do. They needed and to see if they were peaceful. Exactly. These guys might not have been, but they did not have guns. So, <laughs> fair <Yeah>. fight? No. <laughs> <laughs> So for the attack to cease, once they started shooting at them, and it started back up again minutes later. At one point, one of the apes reached into the cabin through a hole to take a hold of an axe, however, did not succeed in pulling it out of the building. The fight continued until daybreak when the five men escaped, and one of the men, his name was Fred Beck, recounted seeing an ape man standing on the side of the canyon upon his escape from the cabin. Beck shot at the creature and watched it roll into the canyon. So that's a nice image for you. And this attack was recounted in newspapers all over Washington and Oregon. So and that, nobody died, correct? No, but an, a Bigfoot might have. Yeah. <laughs> from that last one. But no, all five men made it out alive. And that's um, when you're looking at these cases, I, it's really hard to come across one where somebody actually dies. There's not any of anybody who have died. And oh, there's no reported cases. People go missing in no. the woods all the time. Very true. Very true. However, not from Bigfoots because they... As far as we can people. tell, there's no evidence that Bigfoot <laughs> is picking people off. Exactly, because that would mean that they do in fact exist and we would have to admit that. <laughs> to deal with the problem, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's where they're all going. It is actually Bigfoot. A fair question. So it's right around this time, this story that I'm going to tell that Bigfoot kind of gets sensationalized. This is a story coming out of Northern California in 1958. So this is Humboldt County, California, where a construction crew working on a logging road had gone to bed and awoke to heavy machinery being moved overnight, including a 450-pound oil drum without sound and they were sleeping nearby so this was large machinery that was moved without them 
hearing anything. There is a large set of 16-inch footprints that were found nearby sunk into the mud. Many of the workers at the camp had begun to share stories of how they had encountered similar footprints on previous job sites. And there were many more footprints reported in the coming days. A lot of men started quitting over those couple days just because they were spooked. And in that time, they had began using the term big feet. Hence the term Bigfoot was coined. This is the sighting that it came from. And it did actually get published all over the United States, which is how the term Bigfoot came so popular. And they actually have so much Bigfoot stuff around this area of California. It's similar to Harrison Hot Springs. They have a Bigfoot museum. They have Bigfoot hotels, Bigfoot cafes in this area of California. And it's weird to think about California in that way because it is such a heavily populated state. But pretty much all of that population is right along the coast. Once it you is, get yeah. like so, 20, even 20 miles away from the coast, that population density starts to drop off pretty quick. And as soon as you get over yeah. a couple mountains, there's nobody, nobody yeah, for lots miles. Lots of forest too as well in the mountains. Which leads me to a similar area. I want to cover this one is especially important and such a big thing within the Bigfoot storyline is the Patterson-Gimlin video, which takes place in Bluff Creek, Northern California in October of 1967, specifically October 20th, 1967. So this is a very famous video of Bigfoot. And this is one that comes up over and over again. It's highly hotly debated, highly controversial. Some people say it's clear evidence that this is a hoax. And some people say it's clear evidence that this is not a hoax. Oh, yeah. There's so, adamant people on both sides that it's a, yeah. a real uh, ape-like creature or it's a man in a gorilla costume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so these are filmmakers are Robertson, Robert Patterson and Bob Giblin, Gimlin. 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 <laughs> and as I said, it's probably one of the most hotly debated videos ever. So Patterson had been long interested in Bigfoot and was intrigued by the Bigfoot, but he was long interested in Bigfoot and was intrigued by the sightings in Bluff Creek area. Upon visiting and speaking with Bigfoot believers, he stumbled on fresh tracks, which inspired him to invest thousands of hours and dollars searching the area and founding the Northwest Research Foundation. And that was in 1962. That was five years prior to the video taking place. It was through this foundation that he was able to come up with the funds to lead several expeditions in search of Bigfoot. Which leads him to October 1967. This is probably the pinnacle of Patterson's life. Patterson's life. And so October 1967, he and his friend Gimlin set out for Six Rivers National Forest in Northern California, carrying provisions and three horses, choosing this area because of the amount of reports and creatures in the past with footprints going back to probably 1958 or further, as you see with most Bigfoot sightings they're not new to the area as well as patterson's familiarity with the area given all his past visits there and the people in that area what happened in the video it's early afternoon 
They're riding horseback upstream on the east bank of Bluff Creek around 1.30 p.m. when they come upon an overturned tree with a large root system and they spot a figure behind it either crouching beside the creek to their left or standing there. One says crouching, the other says standing there. A horse rears upon sight of the creature and Patterson spent about 20 seconds getting from his saddle, controlling the horse and getting around the side to get his camera from a pouch on the saddle that was on the side of the horse. He runs towards the creature yelling, cover me Gimlin, which means get the gun out. And Patterson comes within 60 to 90 feet of Patty, which she's come to be known as. Gimlin later describes being in a mild state of shock at this point, which gives reason for the kind of the the accounts that they're giving at this point they don't kind of line up with each other if you look into this how they describe what happened prior to the and during the video the men estimate that the height is between six foot six and seven foot six and some later analysis puts the creature at about six feet and that's analysis from the video the film itself runs about 59.5 seconds and the film is quite shaky in the beginning given what i described above until patterson got about 80 feet from the figure and it's then that the film depicts what is thought to be a female walking across the frame for looking back over her shoulder and disappearing into a grove of trees for 14 seconds and then reappears for the final 15 seconds this is a like by far the most famous video of bigfoot you'll oh ever yes talk about you it's very easy to find there's a very extensive wikipedia page on this and even yeah you can find stabilized versions of the video, yeah, which um, like are interesting to watch. One of those remastered videos because technology. Don't think you said this off the top, but the whole reason they were out there at this point in time and they had the camera stuff ready to go was they were filming a docudrama about Bigfoot. They were set out there ready to film this documentary. And yes, lo and behold, they actually do see a Bigfoot while they're filming it. And they happen to get the camera ready to go. And that is a lot of people say why is there's no pictures or videos of this even these guys who were setting out to see a bigfoot and were prepared for that their account of it is still utter shock and not sure what to do yeah that is what they were out to do as a docudrama i didn't i just wanted to kind of recount the the actual video itself leading up leading up to it i should have touched yeah. on why they were out there but yeah you're absolutely right that's what they were doing out there <laughs> And a lot of people will use that as a detraction saying that, oh, it's very convenient that you're trying to get funding for this docudrama and you're filming it and you happen to get Bigfoot video. Doesn't actually True. change anything. It just means you should scrutinize it a little more. Yeah. And honestly, I, it's video of Bigfoot. It's going to get scrutinized no matter why you're out there to the utmost extent. People will also scrutinize heavily if you don't have a reason to be out there with a video camera. Why were you filming at that time? If it's just yeah. for some unknown reason, it's going to take away from what evidence you provided. He's clearly in the beginning of the video. I mean, take with it what you will, because... I mean, you can do it without panicking for a video camera. You can make it look, but he's clearly shuffling to get, it's very unstable in the first seconds of the video where he says he's scrambling to get it and he's running after the creature. And then they kind of have conflicting stories of what happened in which he later describes 
like I said, being in a mild state of shock. So he really is shocked. He doesn't know what's going on, as I'm sure everyone would be if they're actually seeing a Bigfoot. You've heard about the guy. Maybe you haven't heard about the guy, which would probably be more shocking if you've never heard of a Bigfoot before and you're seeing one in front of you. It would. Well, and just before that, too, this wafting aroma of rotten eggs and sulfur (laughs) reaches your nostrils and you instinctively go to cover your face to get the smell away from it. (laughs) You're just disoriented. You're disoriented on five different levels. You know, a funny thing about that is there's a whole bunch of online communities, which it's discussed. I think I read it on Reddit. Like, why would you have such a strong odor if you're trying to hide yourself in the woods? What would what purpose would that serve you? It was a debate that I saw happening. And I thought that was funny. They guarantee you have the better sense of smell than we do it could be a territorial marker very true i mean and it's just not because like you there smell aren't it other doesn't animals. mean you can see it too that's yeah. a big thing and it's not like there aren't other animals that emit a strong smell as well and exactly or you know mechanisms. wolves have very pungent um well not just wolves a lot of creatures but wolves mark their territory with urine and uh it's a, a robust smell to say the least <laughs> Hell, foxes need to hide from things and they have the worst smelling piss in the world. Like, it's awful. I think most animals, is is that not how most animals mark their territory? Uh, bears scratch, bears scratch the trees. So I don't think they use urine to mark their territory. Interesting. I don't know. I guess I don't know that much about territory marking. Yeah. I just I put mean, locks on my doors. Yeah. We invented the Torrens title system and we're good. Yeah. <laughs> we register it with the land title office and bam, it's your territory. Then you Mine's can be easier. Our way's easier. <laughs> God, let's hope Bigfoot um, doesn't kidnap us to get the secrets of Torrens. <laughs> I'd never give that up. I barely know what it is. <laughs> so you need a lock on your door. <laughs> That's about it. To go back to the video, it depicts the a large, hairy, bipedal ape-like figure with short silvery brown slash dark reddish slash black hair covering most of its body with prominent breasts which is why she's called patty and she's thought to be a female and that's about sums up the video it's very short it's not very long patterson died in of cancer in 1972 and he maintained his whole life that the creature that he caught on film was real and one of the first to investigate the site of this film was local to Harrison Hot Springs, just up the road here, uh, John Green, which I talked about at the beginning of this episode at the brunch at the Sasquatch Inn, very famous around here. The video was originally shown in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia. That's the first time it was ever shown. That's a weird place to debut it if you're in California. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it had to do with John Green. I'm not sure they never gave a reason that's just oh my guess is it was filmed in vancouver like everything yeah probably (laughs) the video has been studied by anthropologists zoologists and even bernard huvelmans who we have talked about with discussed of we have not talked with him (laughs) the last it has just been the two of us and craig (laughs) unless craig is also Um, huvelman so as we were just discussing this of course is thought to generally be a hoax, which gives varying reasons as well as is inconsistencies with hair, footprints. They did get a cast, the height ratio, etc. 
essentially you can come up with a number of reasons why this could be a hoax and to even take a look at the wikipedia page it goes on and on and on essentially you can come up with the smallest detail for it to become a hoax especially with something like this because it's not something that someone has actually captured the creature got dna of the creature or anything so i think the coolest part about it is with all this stuff about it being a hoax is that no one has ever been able to replicate Patty's walk. So people have tried, but no one's been able to replicate the way that she was walking in the video. Yeah, and that is something that they have actually looked at in studies. I would have to find who's done them. The size of their foot, the ratio of knee to ankle and then knee to hip. And the length of the arms is truly unique to the Bigfoot. Yeah. It is a lot closer to primate uh, great apes than us. We've all seen those lanky orangutan arms. Like that's kind of what Bigfoot is described to have. So when they walk, it is going to be significantly different than how we walk. Yes. So what that, that is, is pretty where cool a because lot, that is the best evidence yeah. I do think of this video is the way is the gait of the walk. The, yeah, the and the way that she's moving. And they did put others in ape suit and have them walk as well. And nobody was ever able to replicate that as much as they were able to say everything else had inconsistencies and therefore it's a hoax. That's my rundown on the Patterson Gimlin video. Do you have anything else to add? Didn't Gimlin later in life say that it was faked? Or is it He never did. Okay, but somebody related to him did. I would have to do more research on that. But there is someone involved with the video who later said that it was a hoax, but then I think they took it back. There was somebody that said that he had paid them for a ape suit. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of, but they later recanted it. Okay. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of, but I don't think I came across anything like that. However, I have been reading a lot about Bigfoot. <laughs> Just for shits and giggles, I have one coming from Alberta, which I didn't think Alberta, but I guess uh, when you look at, there's a lot of mountains, the Rockies go through Alberta. In 1969, which is dubbed by John Green, the year of the Bigfoot. John Green is a like big Bigfoot guy. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff with Bigfoot. He's got a weird fetish. Um, he's, he's, he's huge in the Bigfoot community. He's written a lot of books. He's done a lot of research on it. Hence why he comes up here again. So this was in Nordeg. So workers had begun construction on the Big Horde Dam located in western Alberta near Nordeg. August 24th, 1969, five men witnessed the Bighorn Dam incident. Two men were working on the foundation of this dam when something caught their eye high on a ridge above them. The two men watched the figure that was standing there for about 30 minutes. Then he sat down for another 10 minutes, the figure up above. By this time, three more workers had joined them, the two men, in observing the figure. The figure then stood up for 15 minutes and walked along the ledge and disappeared into the tree line. Two of the men went up after the creature and three stayed behind to judge the size of what the creature could have been. And by comparison, the men judged the figure to have been 12 to 13 feet tall, which is one of the highest, the the tallest that have been. And I'm guessing um, they based that off of branches on trees or some sort of landmark. It had, there that. had to have been some sort of marker because they they compared the other men that went up there to investigate to give that marker. 
of 12 to okay. 13 feet. Which so is basically going to be double their height. Yeah, it's one of the tallest in the area. I can't even imagine seeing something that was 12 feet tall. There's many more sightings going back into this particular area of Nordeg. There's a variety to choose from. I chose not to include them from First Nations. So that's an area where First Nations occupy as well. And they have a close relationship with Sasquatch, actually. Yeah, they don't really share it much with outsiders, though, unfortunately. They don't. So it is hard. So I'm going to get into that actually next. Okay. Um. So those are the end of my sightings per se, for right now. There's a lot of them. There's a lot, a lot of them. I chose to keep them fairly close to home for interest purposes, maybe not just interest purposes, but it's cooler to hear about places that I've been, seen, and can easily get to. So I'm just being selfish, really. (laughs) This ends part one of our look at Bigfoot on Journey to the Fringe. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to so far, please go take a look at part two, which is also available now. Thank you very much.